Well, good morning. This is one of the great moments because it's been a while since I got to sit here and then when I get up, I see that there's people here that I didn't see when I was sitting down. So it's uh, really nice to see you here. Glad that you're here uh, out there as well. We're in the third week of a series called Weird because weird, uh, because normal is not working. And if you missed any of the first episodes, let me just try and uh, give you a quick series review really quick. Uh, we start off with some teaching from Jesus, um, powerful teaching, and just really helpful, beautiful imagery. Very powerful verses, and he said there are two distinctly different roads, and the sort of a really good news, bad news kind of story. One is easy to find. One is easy to stay on, and he talked about this one road that is broad. It is the wide road, and Jesus said, you know, maybe this is more good news depending on how you view it. This is where most people are. Many people have traveled uh, on that road. The bad news is that the wide road is where most of the people are. That's where they are, but it leads to destruction. Uh, for our purposes, we've said that th this is, honestly, this is where normal people are. But he said there's a second road. Uh, it's a narrow road, and the good news is that this road leads to life. The bad news, Jesus said, is that narrow is the way, and few people find it. Few people make it to the narrow road. Good news, bad news. Uh, many of you were, were traveling on this broad road. You have been on this road, but you had the courage to say, I want to follow Jesus. And you left the broad road where all the normal people are. And you went and you found your way to the narrow road. And, and, and now the, the, the wide road people, they started calling you weird. But you don't care. Because normal is broke. Normal is overwhelmed. Normal is spiritually bankrupt. Normal is divorce. And you don't want to have anything to do with normal because you know when led by the Spirit of God, weird is much better and normal. Normal's just not working. So today I want to freak you out a little bit uh, and I want to talk to you about weird desires. Weird desires because it's so normal to give in to your natural, your normal desires. So for example, how many of you have ever uh, felt like saying something, felt like doing something, and then you did it, but later on you regretted it? How many of you would say, I've done something, I've said something that I later regretted? Come on. The rest of you, you regret not telling the truth uh, because it's so natural to give in to those normal desires. Normal people do it all of the time. Have you ever been to a, a kid's sporting event? Have you ever gotten maybe a little too involved? Ever had a word or two for another parent or a coach? Maybe you just snapped. Do you remember the champ? Does anyone remember the champ? I snapped. I lose it. I head fake him with a chicken sandwich and then I follow up with a flurry to the solar plexus. Well, and, and I, I remember the champ. Did you ever do anything like that? You just lose it. Or maybe it was more like, like this. Six. Let's take it down a notch. Mommy, stop him! Stop him, get that boy! Hey, 
out. She gotta take that kid out. You wanna take him out? How about I take you out? Honey, honey. Why don't you worry about your son? He spent the first half with his hand in his pants. <laughs> that's what normal people do. Well, maybe that's a little bit uh, amped up from what normal people do. They give in to normal desires. And if you want, if you're enticed by, if you like what normal people have, then you should absolutely do what normal people do. But, on the other hand, if you want what few people have, you're going to have to do what few people do. And it's time to be different. It's time to get weird because normal it's normal to give in to those lower desires. You, you can see this throughout the Bible. It happens all the time. Go to the very first story in Scripture. In Genesis, Adam and Eve. God says, you can have anything you want in this garden, but don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And then we have an arrival on the scene. The serpent slithers in and he says, isn't it beautiful? Don't you want it? Did God really say? And then what did Eve do? She gave in to her natural desires. You fast forward a bit, a little bit. We get to Moses. He gets upset at an Egyptian. And so he goes and he takes revenge and he kills that Egyptian soccer coach and soccer mom because they were making fun of his kid during the game. Okay, that part is not real, but that was a joke. Um, flat, dead joke. Uh, but Moses, he gave in to his desires. Then we get King David. He sees Bathsheba. He says, I want some of that action. And he, he gave in to his desires and he raped her. Because quite honestly, he wanted what he wanted and nothing was going to stand in his way. It's conquest. That's what normal people do. Normal people take what they want. For you, it might, it, it might be you get angry. You explode. It might be you give in to your sexual desires. It, it might be when you start drinking, there's just no stopping you. Could be when you start trash talking. There's no one safe from your angry tongue. Whatever it is, that's what normal people do. God, though, talks very directly to this subject throughout the various authors um, of Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 16, John lists three different normal desires. In the King James, he call, uh, they call it the lust of the uh, flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The New Living Translation phrases it this way, for the world offers only a pleasure, craving for physical pleasure. The lust of the flesh. I want to have fun. It feels good to do it. I want to enjoy my life. Well, I feel like I have to have something good all of the time. With most of life, I cannot deal, but a good feeling I can feel. And even though it may not be real, and if a person, place, or thing can deliver, I will quiver with delight. But will it last me for all my life or just one more lonely night? The lust, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life drain the life right out of me. The world offers a craving for everything that we see, 
lust of the eyes. I, I don't have one of those. I want one of those. i got to have that. I need these things to make me happy. Well, I see something. And I want it. Bam, right now, no questions asked. Don't worry how much it'll cost me now or later. I want it, baby, and I want it fast. I'll go to any length, sacrifice all that I already have and all that I might get just to get something more that I don't need. And Lord, please don't ask me what for. The lust, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. Drain the life right out of me. There's a third desire. It's known as the pride of life. Pride in our achievements. Pride in our possessions. Pride in what we have. And I love it when folks look right at me at what I'm doing or what I have done. And they lay it on about how groovy I am and that I'm looking grand. And every single word makes me think I'll live forever, never knowing that they probably won't remember what they said tomorrow, tomorrow I could be dead. The lust, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life drain the life right out of me. And all of us, we have these natural desires, we want these things to make us feel good, to make us happy, to give us meaning. We want, we, we want you to think that we're successful. We want material things. We have all of these very natural desires. But John says that there, there's desi- those desires are not from the Father. They're from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything in it that people crave. The good news is, though, Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We see it all of the time today. Normal people give in to what they desire. They follow their own appetite, their own cravings, and then they try to convince others, come along with me. So what I want to do is to try and contrast a little bit of what normal people do with what weird people do. I'm going to start with two thoughts about normal people. First one, I know that every single one of you, I know that you would agree. You see this all the time. Normal people want what they want now, not later. We live in an instant gratification generation. I want what I want, and I want it now. We can see a great example of this story. Jesus told uh, about a father who had two sons. The younger son, Luke chapter 15, he says to his father, I want my share of the estate. When? He said, I want it now, before you die. And we see this all of the time today. This is, this is what normal people do. They give in to their desires. I want it, I want it, and I want it now. Could be a boy and a girl. They're snuggling, cuddling. But that snuggling, cuddling, it's moving along, and that's for marriage. But they say, I want it now. Could be that you're, they're mad at their boss. The boss hurt their feelings, the boss overlooked them, and so they pound out that email. And they send it now. And then they get fired later. 
but they did what they wanted to do now because that's, that's what normal people do. Normal people do what they want and they want it now. So they give in to those lower and natural desires. Secondly, normal people, they will often trade the ultimate for the immediate. <coughs> the greatness of the future for the in- immediacy of now. There's a story that illustrates this really better than uh, any other story in the Bible. Uh, two brothers. Can you guess who they are? Are you thinking already? Two brothers, immediacy now. Esau and Jacob. Now, in the ancient Near East, the eldest son would have what is known as the birthright. Uh, In other words, just because they were firstborn, they had a tremendous advantage. Um, Whenever the father would eventually die, the son with the birthright would get a double portion of the inheritance. And after the father would die, that son would rise to the position of power, like like the executor of the estate or the judge of the family. And Esau, the older brother, had this. And Jacob, the younger brother was jealous. He knew what he wasn't going to have. Here's the story in Genesis 25, starting verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of your red stew. I'm famished. 31. Jacob, the younger brother, he says, hey, hey, hold on a second. Wait a minute, wait a minute. First, sell me your birthright. 32, Esau, the older brother, he says, look, I'm about to die. Now, let's let's just hit pause right there for a second. Do you really think he was about to die? No. He wasn't about to die, but in that moment, he felt strongly. And I sometimes like to speak like that too. I like to exaggerate a little bit. I'm starving. Some hyperbole lets you uh, express more poetically. And then later you have to apologize like the comedian Fluffy. Sorry for what I said to you when I was hungry. Hunger makes you do and say some things that you might later regret. And so Esau, he goes, I'm about to die. I'm starving. And then he asked the question that shows that he's not thinking. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? I'm so hungry. I've got this need. It's here. It's now. It's right in front of me. I really desire that bowl of stew that you're making. And what good is that birthright to me right now? I need a now solution. Then Esau, the older brother, does something that we would all say is foolish How in the world could anyone be so foolish, so short-sighted, so foolish because he did, what he did was he traded his birthright, the ultimate, for the immediate, a lousy bowl of stew. And what do we do? We look at a story like that and you go, whatever, as if, who would ever be so foolish as to trade their birthright for a bowl of stew. Who would do that? And the answer is, normal people do that every single day. Every day. Every day. Every day people are stupid enough to trade the ultimate for an immediate and distorted desire. And I promise you, every single one of you, you know someone who has basically derailed their life 
with a desire that went unchecked and unmanaged, and they did something stupid. And what happened? They locked in for a moment on this desire, and and they forgot about everything else that mattered. Because at that moment, the bowl of stew was so important. And that's what normal people do all the time. It could be a young girl uh, who feels like, the clothes I get, they just make me happy. And so I had to get a belt to match the pants to go with the shoes that match the hair clip. And then she just buys more and more. And it all makes her feel good. But then she finds that she's sunk into debt, wakes up one day, she's got $37,000 in consumer debt. And she said, how in the world did I get here? The answer is she did it. One bowl of stew at a time. Could be the man. Loves his wife. Loves his children. Loves his God. But in the moment, when he's looking at the computer, he's one click away from something lustful that's going to feed his lustful desires. And in that moment, he focuses in on the stew. Smells the stew. And he forgets about her. And he forgets about them and he forgets about his love for God and in that moment he trades the ultimate for the immediate something as unimpressive as a bowl of stew could be young woman she's been thinking she's been planning she really wants a godly husband and she really wants to be loved and she wants to love and she meets a guy he's a pretty good guy and she says to him I love you And he says to her, I love you. And then he says, but if you really love me, you would. And she doesn't want to because she's decided that she wants to please God. But she really wants to be loved. And so she does. And she trades the ultimate for the immediate. He dumps her. And she feels cheap. She feels used because she's traded something that mattered for her. Stupid bowl of stew. It happens all the time. Normal people, normal people do it all the time. You see it all the time. Men that really love their families, they they want to be a good dad, I'm going to be the best dad, and so they say, I'm going to love my family by being a great provider. (coughs) So what do they do? They go after the pride of life. They go after the accomplishments. I'm going to give them more than I ever had. They will know that I love them. And so they work harder and they rise on that ladder and they make more and they get their family a bigger house and they get some nicer cars. And then one day they wake up and their kids, their children, 24, 27, and 29, and they realize they don't even know their kids. And their kids don't even know them. And they realize, how could I have been so blind? I traded the ultimate for the immediate. I traded relationships for accomplishments. Just a dumb bowl of stew. Who would be so dumb as to trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? The answer is normal people do it every single day. And so I would ask you, Be honest enough, be truthful enough, search your heart. What is your bowl of stew? What's your bowl of stew? 
What is your desire or desire that if left unchecked, unmanaged, and from under the direction of the Holy Spirit that could take you into a place where you would literally short-circuit God's long-term plan for something as simple as a bowl of stew? Could be the control. I know some people who have to control everything. And and as they do it, they're pushing their husband away because they have to be in control. They're pushing their kids away because they have to be in control. They're sacrificing the ultimate for the immediate. Could be popularity. You want so much to be liked that you're walking away from what God wants for you. You're trading the ultimate for the immediate, for friends who won't even be there for you in five years. What's your bowl of stew? Because we all have one. Okay, let's, like, let's make that part clear. We all have a bowl of stew. These desires that if left unchecked, unmanaged, they could lead us to compromise what matters most for something that really doesn't matter at all. Normal people, they want what they want now, not later. And they're willing to trade the ultimate for the immediate. Weird people, though. <laughs> Weird people are very different. They really are. They live for different values. And I want to show you two differences in weird people. The first is obvious, but it's still really important. Weird people know that later is often better than now. Weird people know that later is often better than now. So Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 32, better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. In other words, other words, God, may I say, God, God may say to you, hey, I, I, I don't mind you having a bowl of stew. I don't mind at all. Just don't sell your birthright for it. Get it later, not now. Weird people know that that later is often better. Weird people are willing to give up something they want right now for something they want even more. Weird people are trying to give uh, something for the future. They want something even more later, and that's what they've focused on. So here's a fun training exercise you can do with your kids, or maybe you've tried it on yourself. Um, this is such an important value. When kids are like four or five years old, you sit them down, and you take an Oreo double stuffed, a double stuffed Oreo. And how many of you know that a double stuffed Oreo is a special treasure? At least the way they used to make them when they tasted better. And you, and you, you, you could just write, mm-hmm, in the chat. Or maybe just rub your belly. Double stuffed Oreos. So good. So you take one and you put it on their side of the table and you say, this one's yours. And then you take two more double stuffed Oreos and you put them on the other side of the table and you can say, you can have yours now. And all of the time, the kids just grab that one right there. They don't listen to anything else. You've got to stop right there and and the kids grab them. They take them and you say, "Um, hold on. Wait a second. I'm not done telling you what we're going to do. Hold on just a second. (coughs) You can have that one now. Or if you wait an hour, you can have that one plus these two over here. That equals three. Try to teach them that later is often better than now. So some kids uh, will always go for the one. They gobble it up. It's just like that. Every single time, quick as a wink, the thing is gone. They are planning on still having the other two. They're just planning on using guile and cuteness to get 
the other two. They'll just look at you with the eyes. Or you'll get the lawyer kids, and the lawyer kids will say, Dad, I hear what you're saying. I love what you're saying. How about this? I wait the hour as you suggest, and then at the end of the hour that you suggest, you give me five. How about that? Negotiation. Here's the deal. You want your kids to understand that later is often better than now, and this applies to so many other areas of life. You take sex. What's normal today? Get it now. Get it now, baby. If it feels good, do it. Why wait? Get it going. Get her done. And here's what weird people do. Weird people wait. Because God says that later is better than now. Do you know better than God? Do you see what he sees? And we frequently not. When you learn to compromise, you may learn to become a compromiser. And when you're married to someone who compromised for you, you are left wondering if they might compromise again. It leaves you wondering. But that pledge to not compromise builds this trust that is so very deeply valuable. It is so much better to be incompetent at lovemaking together. Don't be a trained professional when you get married. That, that creates comparison and, and, or worries of comparison. You will have enough to worry about in your marriage. You don't need to add comparisons to the other list of worries. Get better at it together. Do not trade the immediate for the ultimate. Can you let nothing stand in the way of that ultimate? I want to please God. Weird people, they know that it is often better later than now. Second thing, and this is where it gets really important. This is what has to do far more with how you will be on this pathway. Weird people seek God until his desires become their desires. That's what they do. Weird people seek God until his desires become their desires. God, help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say. Psalm 37, 4, and this phrase, just read it, read it out loud with me, please. Delight yourself in the Lord. Okay, godly Bible-sounding stuff, but circle that word in there, delight, in your notes. Write the word in anag, delight. That's the Hebrew word for delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word anag, it means to enjoy, it means to seek, it means to delight. And this word, it means as you're seeking... As you're enjoying, as you're delighting, you will be made soft or pliable. Soft or pliable. In other words, imagine that you are a hard rock of clay and God is the potter. And as you seek him, he pours water on you. And you're like, ah, oh, water. Feels good. I like that. I appreciate that. I enjoy this. And then that water soaks into you. And it makes you soft and it makes you pliable. And then the potter forms you, the clay, into exactly what he wants. That's what happens when you seek God. And I'm telling you, some of you, some of you, uh, some of me, all the time, we're, we're seeking nothing but our stupid bowl of soup. Throw that thing down and call it for what it is. It's only a bowl of stew. Seek God. Open up his word. Become passionate about him and his kingdom. And he will change you. He will transform you from the inside out so that all of a sudden he molds your heart. 
and he gives you his desires. His desires become your desires because now you desire what he desires. Because of that, he will give you the desires of your heart. You no longer desire the lower things of this world because he's transforming you. He's making you weird. And you're going to get more weird because you're different and you're not living anymore for what everyone else is living for. Paul opens this up beautifully in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. If you do that, you know that you're going to get weird, right? Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It's what all the other normal people do. Verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. This is so powerful. This is such a big deal when you get this, when you can live this. When you leave that normal path, the broad road, the wide road, when you leave that, and when you get on the narrow path that leads to life, the Holy Spirit changes your heart. And all of a sudden, rather than wanting more of the things of this world, more of the empty things that do not last, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, instead, your desires have changed and you want your life to glorify God. And you start desiring to be generous, to forgive, to bless people, to go that extra mile, to worship God, and to do all of these things that normal people, they're just not interested in doing. Because God is changing your desires. The problem is that as you grow closer to God, I promise you, Satan doesn't want you there and he will offer you another stupid bowl of stew. And if you're not prepared, you may compromise all of the blessings that God had for you in your future for something as little and as temporary as a meaningless bowl of stew, which is exactly what Esau did. Think about this for a minute, okay? Everybody pay attention. One moment. As a church, as Christians, what do we say over decades and decades and centuries? We as Christians, we say, we serve the God of whom? If you know it, say it out loud. Say it with me. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all through Scripture, this is what is written. Who was Jacob? Jacob was the younger brother. Who should it have been? Who would it have been? Who could it have been? If it hadn't been, if he hadn't been so short-sighted that he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew, if he had done what was right, if his desires had matched the desires of God, he would have, we would say to this day, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But because of his unchecked desires, Esau traded the ultimate for a mere bowl of stew. Who would do that? Normal people do it every day. And that's why we're not going to be normal. That's why we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to seek Him and we're going to desire to please Him. And yes, we are going to be weird and we don't care what anybody thinks because weird is much better than normal because normal isn't working. Father, I pray today that for those who are still pursuing that bowl of stew, 
or could be tempted by the bowl of stew, that your spirit would lead us out of that normal temptation and into the power of godliness and life. Right now, there may be a few of us that are looking to you, God, and we are saying, I really do. I really do want to seek you, God, so passionately. I want your desires to become my desires that by the power of your spirit, I would rise above these lower things, these natural desires of this world, that I would truly desire what pleases you, God. I don't want to be so short-sighted that I would sell out for a lousy bowl of stew. I don't want that for me. I want to live in such a way that that would please you, Jesus, that I would be in earnest pursuit of you. And if it makes me weird, so be it. Is that you? Are you with me here now? God, I pray for those who who are just eating their stew right now, and I I pray that your spirit would set them free. God, I pray that, that they would confess their sins to you and to trusted people. I pray that you would set them free, God. I pray, God, for all of us who are vulnerable every day to doing something that could cost us over an immediate and a lower desire. God, I I pray that your truth, that later is often better than now, would penetrate our souls, would soak in. And God, we would truly seek you. So much that you would renew our minds with the washing of the water of the word, that we would be made soft and pliable for you to shape that our desires would become your desires. And when our heart lines up with yours, God, then we will experience you giving us what our heart desires. Because it's not our desires, it's your desires in us. God, give us a heart that breaks for the things that break your heart, God. God, a heart for those things that that excite your heart. God, give us your desires so that we could please you in every way. God, help me pleased to see as you see, so that I might do as you say. For what I have received today, God, help me to be thankful and to be willing to share with somebody else. I'm looking forward to what you will do in my life and through my life, because I'm in earnest pursuit of you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.